This is Arturo Elizondo uh, from Clara Foods and Jasmine Hume uh, from Shiru and Ben, uh, ben Berman from Nomu. Um, so thanks all for coming today. And we're going to sit down and have a little bit of a chat about, what does it say, the future of food. So uh, even before we get started and with the speakers introducing themselves, I'd like to find out uh, if, and, uh, if anyone understands what we're going to be talking about. Because uh, we're actually taking a real, really new approach to how food is grown and how food is made. So first I'm going to ask, um, has anyone had uh, like alternative meats like Beyond Burger or, or, yeah, almost everyone's had that. Has anyone had like an Impossible Burger? <laughs> like, okay, it's a different version of that. And have, has anyone tried anything? So that's the that's basically plant-based meat, uh, sometimes with a little bit of uh, specialty protein. That's fermented protein that that, that makes it more meat-like. Um, then there's a next level uh, down, which is precision fermentation. Uh, has anyone tried any things like perfect day ice creams? There's one, two, three, four, five. Wow. Okay, that's very good. You guys are very advanced. Um, and uh, that actually takes the animal out of the agriculture completely, but still has the same proteins. And we'll describe a little bit of what that is. So you, you're still having cow milk. It's just no cow was involved in the making of, of, the, of the milk uh, or the ice cream. Um, and, then, uh, and then has anyone ever tried, really, this is not even commercially available yet, <laughs> But uh, you know, cellular agriculture uh, and uh, things like Memphis meats uh, or, or uh, Upside Foods, as they're called right now, where the where the meat itself is grown in fillets, but no grain is attached to the meat. Uh, so it's like cow meat or chicken. Oh, we got one there. Uh, so there's a so there's a couple of people here who are going really uh, into the into the future. Well, we are redefining what uh, a sustainable planet looks like and. The panelists that we have today uh, with us here are people who are making uh, that redefinition of how we grow uh, a food, how we make it uh, without having an over-reliance on animal, uh, you know, industrial animal farming, which is, uh, as people are probably aware of, that's, you've maybe seen some movies or heard, heard some reports, but um, it's uh, one of the causes, of, one of the great causes of global warming um, is the methane that's being produced by the cows and, and the other animals and all of the other sort of agriculture that's used to feed animals, which we then feed, which is just very, uh, you know, sometimes 30 times uh, worse for the environment than actually just growing the food directly uh, in bioreactors. So we're going to find out about uh, that future uh, by talking to some of the leaders in the industry. Um, but I first like to just, you know, because it's such a, such a unusual thing, I'm just going to set a little bit more context. Um, SOSV, I'm an investor. We invest in uh, a lot of these uh, companies that are in this space, like some of the companies we've mentioned there. But um, uh, one of the things that I had growing up is I had a mom who's a diabetic. And I don't know if anyone uh, knows anybody who's a diabetic. You inject insulin into your arms. Well, it used to be the only way that you could get insulin was to slaughter uh, pigs and cows, take the pancreas out, and then drain it out of the insulin. 
But then Genentech came along for pharmaceutical uh, purposes and they figured out, hey, we can actually take the human gene, which produces human insulin, which is better than cow insulin or pig insulin anyway, and we can grow it as a pharmaceutical and sell it in a little bottle. And guess what? Fewer people died of all the contamination problems. It's a much better fit for human beings and life was improved, but only for pharmaceuticals and really, really high value proteins like insulin. What's happened in the intervening years is this incredible uh, you know, technological revolution, these guys are leading, um, that takes um, that process, which was once used only for pharmaceutical products, and there's other pharmaceutical products like human growth hormone or Viagra or all of the other things that are grown that way, high, high, high expense. But they're making it now available uh, by growing it like in, in vats and fermentation, just like beer is fermented, but where the output instead of uh, you know, beer or the output instead of human insulin is now commodity food products. Um, there's, that's a lot of what these teams here today are doing is precision fermentation and, uh, and getting the direct output, those, those hero proteins that we rely on for our ice creams or that used to require animals. And with that background, I'm sure I've confused many of you, but hopefully enlightened some. Uh, we're going to talk to some of the leaders in this industry. Uh, Arturo, do you want to tell us a, a brief uh, rundown on what you do um, at, at Clara Foods? Yeah, happy to. Hi, everyone. So I run Clara Foods, founded the company almost seven years ago. Uh, we've been in R&D for the last six and a half years. And what we do is we make real animal protein without using a single animal. And we focus that specifically around in the B2B world, in large part because there's this massive gap in the industry around companies like the Kellogg's, General Mills, Walmart of the world, trying to ride this transition of animal-free alternative protein products, um, in large part because of companies like Beyond and like Impossible and like Just, who've really helped educate the market. And so there's this massive gap in the infrastructure to help enable the world's largest food companies to transition. And so that's really where we at Clara operate. So we're a B2B animal protein platform. And we produce different kinds of animal proteins using yeast and fermenters. So in the same way that brewers use yeast to convert sugar into alcohol to make beer and wine, the yeast that we work with naturally converts that same sugar into protein. So we can engineer the yeast itself to produce different kinds of animal proteins, to make insulin or other kinds. And we specialize in egg proteins because they're super functional and over a trillion eggs are consumed every single year worldwide. Massive market that's been completely, in many ways, underpenetrated. 99.8% of the egg market is still dominated by eggs. Only less than 0.2% isn't penetrated by anything that's not an egg. And so we see a huge opportunity there for us to, to help enable the, um, the, broader, the broader food industry to transition to an animal-free future. Thank you, Arturo. And Jasmine, what, tell me what, what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. So building on uh, the, the opportunity that Arturo just spoke about, and we'll probably talk more about this in the, the coming minutes, a uh, huge opportunity in fueling the future of food by enabling better ingredients. So what we do at Shiru is actually uh, look to the natural world, specifically non-animal proteins, so proteins that come from plants, 
fungi, cyanobacteria, to increase the options, the diversity of the protein ingredients that food formulators have at their fingertips. Uh, there are 400,000 known plant species. Uh, we currently get 90% of our calories from 13 staple crops. And so each, within each plant, there are 40,000 different proteins that are expressed. So the search space is huge. At Shiru, we use tools like machine learning coupled with precision fermentation to create a wide variety of different functional protein ingredients that can ultimately replace um, things like dairy proteins, egg proteins, gelatin, uh, a wide number of different um, functional ingredients that we currently derive from animals in far less sustainable ways. And our, on our left, or your right, uh, on the far right, Ben Berman from Nomu. Now, Nomu is the name, and the, here's, the, here's the joke behind Nomu. It is milk proteins and milk products without the cow, so that's why Nomu. Nomu is probably the way I should have been introduced to Yeah, him. thank you. And for the uh, <laughs> chuckles, I appreciate it. Go ahead. We're building a company called Nomu that's a, a joint venture with Perfect Day, and Perfect Day similar to the companies that you already heard about, are doing precision fermentation on animal-free whey protein. The way I explain it is we feed the DNA sequence of cow's milk to yeast proteins and with them ferment like you would a beer or a loaf of bread. And at the end, we get a whey protein that is dairy identical, but it is animal-free, lactose-free. It is up to 97% fewer carbon emissions. And we are using that protein that Perfect Day has created to build out a beverage portfolio, an e-commerce company focused specifically on childhood nutrition. My background actually isn't in science. My background is in food. Quite literally, my background is in cheeseburgers, ice cream sandwiches, and pizza, which are all three stories for another time. Really healthy. Very healthy, and also very heavy in dairy. And I approach this problem by saying, if I believe that the climate is the most urgent crisis that we are facing as a species, which I do. But I don't, I'm not sure that life is worth living without cheeseburgers, ice cream sandwiches, and pizza. How can we reinvent those foods by putting less strain on the planet, but not compromising on the foods that we get to enjoy? And so along with Perfect Day, we are trying to reinvent those first few products. Milk, childhood nutritional shakes, animal-free lactose-free yogurt, products that we love and enjoy every day, but we want to try to put far less strain on the environment. We want to treat our bodies better. We want to rethink the ingredients that we're putting into our food to create a healthier, more sustainable food system. Now, I, th I think you guys here in the audience may be like, okay, you know, milk without cows, eggs without chickens, you know, uh, you know, uh, hero proteins without plants even, um, growing, growing these things. And you're thinking, is this really going to ever happen, or is this just a whole bunch of pipe dreams? Well, I, I, I'm here to tell you a few, uh, one thing. You know, seven years ago, when we uh, backed Perfect Day, as was the uh, first uh, backer of Perfect Day through our IndieBio programs, um, uh, you know, we thought to the expression we, uh, uh, that uh, Bill Gibson has, which is the, the future is already here, it's just not evenly distributed. And even if you see in this room, the future was not evenly distributed in this room. Like there were only two people that knew about cellular agriculture who had ever had a, a meat that was grown completely at the same meat without a brain attached to it, like, like using like the upside foods uh, kind of technology. And a, a few of you had the, the perfect day uh, sell uh, milk products. 
So it's only seven years later that hundreds of thousands of people, since our first investment in Perfect Day, we're now hundreds of thousands of people have used it and tasted that product. But in another seven years, it will actually be billions of people. It's kind of like the iPhone, you know, like, you know, just, you know, in 2008, uh, you know, it didn't exist and people didn't think they even needed it. But, you know, it didn't take even seven years for people to know that they needed it, uh, you know, uh, and, and that's what's happening with the food industry. As these unstoppable trends continue, where you can produce milk for four times cheaper than a cow can produce milk it pretty much undercuts the industry and it makes it possible for everything to change um, in a way that we haven't seen, you know, in the food industry yet, right? I mean, it's only starting to happen now. Um, it's like when the computers, microcomputers replaced, you know, spreadsheets, you know, that people did by hand, you know, at, this is going to happen. It's an unstoppable force. And, and why don't you guys tell us a little bit about what are the things that are, are you, get, you, you all have raised different amounts of money. Actually, this is very interesting because we have a pre-seed company at the end that's just raised $2 million. Uh, Shiru has just raised, Jasmine, remind me. Our Series A was $17 million. $17 million, uh, and on top of a, a couple, three or $4 million before that. And Arturo, what, what's, uh, what's your uh, financing history? I'm not sure what you can say. Yeah, we've raised $64 million, then we're closing on a $120 Round in a couple in a couple weeks. Yeah, so the different uh, you know uh, lengths of time uh, that that these companies have been out there, um, and yet uh, the products aren't yet in the market yet, uh, and uh, so uh, so it may seem like nothing's happening, uh, mm. but in fact it's happening at lightning speed. We're basically taking advantage of millions of years of evolution to produce natural products. Why don't you talk about what's, what's happening next at your stage, uh, uh, Arturo? Uh, yeah, Clara. yeah it's, it's such a great question because to your point, it's almost like it seems like nothing's happening and then it happens all at once. Right. And you know, for, for context, it takes on average around seven years to bring a product from synthetic biology to the market. We did ours in five, which we launched it last year. It was a world's first animal-free pepsin, which is a pig protein made you now using fermentation, but normally it used to come from hog stomachs. That was a, a really nice proof point for us. But what we've been really focusing on for the last six years is, is developing the core technology to enable the broader infrastructure. And a huge part of that is getting the technology right, but two is laying the groundwork for scale. And that's truly where... You know, if we were a penny cheaper than many of these multi-billion dollar commodity markets, you start owning these markets. And for us, I mean, the egg is a very affordable source of protein. So we need scale in addition to amazing technology to make that happen. And so over the last two years, we've been really working to lay the groundwork for scale. And what that means is that we partnered up with Ingredion, which is one of the world's largest ingredient distributor uh, ingredient companies in the world, uh, they're in 120 countries, and that allows us to penetrate uh, global markets far faster on the front end. And on the back end, we just closed a partnership with AB InBev, BioBrew, which is the world's largest fermentation company. And that allows us, again, instead of using a the fermenters- AB InBev, uh, you may or may not know their beers are like uh, Budweiser and- Corona. Uh, 
and uh, what's in bed is uh, Heineken and all the other uh, sort of all those beers over in Europe uh, as well. So it's a big, big fermenter, the world's largest fermentation company. And so instead of using their, you know, in addition to using their fermenters to use yeast and brew alcohol, why not use fermentation to also have the yeast convert that sugar into protein and produce it at the lowest possible cost on a global level and make them accessible to everyone. And so we work with very large food companies like Grupo Bimbo, which is the world's largest uh, bakery. They own Sara Lee, Entenmann's, Oro Wheat. And part of these, what these companies are doing is trying to transition away from eggs. But in order to, you know, they reach people all over the world, especially in developing countries, where they need very, very affordable products. And that's really where then scale comes in to then penetrate these markets. And I think scale is really um, a challenge for, for every company in this space because initially the products start out being much more expensive than the than the they're made by animals, um, and then it just it goes say like from eight thousand dollars a pound for a, a hamburger to like eight hundred to eighty to eight, and you know but it's happening at that at that level at that speed as well over two or three years you get that 10, 10x cheaper. Jasmine, talk about what your what types of proteins that you're looking to bring to market and what scale you're looking to achieve. Sure. Yeah. So on the panel, I think you have uh, companies at different parts of the value chain also, which is really interesting. Um, we are very early up in the value chain. So Shiru has a differentiated technology platform where we do protein discovery, essentially. And so what that means is we can leverage our database, which currently contains 16.5 million natural protein sequences, interrogate it using tools like machine learning and bioinformatics, and say, we're looking for proteins that have uh, gelation capability or emulsification or foaming, these textural properties that really define how we as consumers experience food, but also thinking about allergenicity, toxicity, amino acid profile, and basically predict the proteins that are going to perform those jobs in the best ways. And, that, and that's kind of those, those functional proteins, those functional uh, you know, capabilities really matter when you take, for example, like you take like a soy milk or something and you try to put it in with eggs or you try to you know, use it to cook something. It actually, that's why the cakes don't turn out when you're using uh, stuff that doesn't exactly. have those functional properties. And you're trying to substitute milk for those things because they don't have, say, the whey proteins or the casein proteins that are necessary for all those different functional properties. Right. So you're going specifically after those functional properties to, to either replace existing yes. uh, or, or to, uh, or to, to better add products. new yeah. capabilities exactly. to food. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I would add to that, I mean, the, the other element here, as Arturo commented on, is scalability. And so not all proteins are equally as uh, able to be expressed or produced in high quantities and efficient manners. So we also prioritize for ingredients that actually have the best potential to be scaled at the, at the lowest cost point, essentially. Right, right. And, and Ben, your, your area, actually the other thing I just realized is that you're selling uh, direct to as in, to ingredients companies using your products directly for all of their products uh, then you're going direct to consumer and and um, and 
in the middle, uh, Jasmine, you're you're going to the more towards the ingredients side, or are you going to have any consumer packaged goods? No consumer packaged goods. We pro we will provide to food CPG companies as well as ingredients companies. Right, right. So uh, in, inside of the industry, there's a number of companies that go direct to consumer, and Ben, you're one of them. T tell us about the challenges involved there. Yeah, so we deal at the opposite end of what Jasmine is thinking about. And so what I'm thinking about every day is, you know, if, if every time someone entered a grocery store, I went to check out of their groceries online, I could have them listen to 30 minutes with Jasmine and Antoro and Sean. That would be really excellent because my job would be a lot easier. We don't, we don't have that ability. So a lot of my job these days is thinking about how we can get folks to understand what animal-free dairy really means, how they can understand that oxymoron of a product that they're hopefully going to put into their bodies. And I need consumers to understand that this is urgent and that this is delicious. And that's what we think about every day, is we want to rethink those products. We want to understand how those products can be branded. We think a lot about the fulfillment work behind those products. We're trying to get to scale so that it's not just folks who are at the SALT conference who have access to these products. We want these to be everyday things that are in every person's uh, refrigerator that are in every children's lunchbox because we believe that's important for our planet and for our children. And I think so, I think I think one of the things that confuses people a lot is oh is this like a GMO yeah. right is this something that we is it we're going to try as an experiment but in fact all these products are already uh, a lot of them at least I know we're we're doing some things which are more advanced but but grass products, generally regarded as safe products uh, by this sort of an FDA clarification. So once you get it out there, uh, it's exactly the same as a cow makes it. It's exactly, uh, it's, not a, it's not a special thing. It's what humans have been consuming for hundreds of thousands of years. So um, it, it's just a different means of production without requiring the animal uh, to produce it. Um, and it's a natural means of production. It's using nature the incredible, you know, in, incredible forces of nature, cellular agriculture, as the as the machines that are actually producing these outputs. Can I add one thing? Yeah, please. So, you know, one question that I always get is is like, why, why are you even using this kind of very deep technology to make milk proteins, plant proteins, and you know, animal egg proteins, animal proteins more broadly? instead of eating more fruits and vegetables, or you know, aren't the burgers of, t the veggie burgers of today good enough? And ultimately, the way that, that, that I talk about it is, you know, the plant-based companies of today, I think have done such a great job educating the market, right? Getting people excited about these kinds of products and knowing and sharing that it is possible to get a really tasty, sustainable product and that you don't have to compromise anymore as a consumer but ultimately you know cost and price cost and taste still dictate the, the vast majority of consumer purchasing not just in the u.s but globally and so ultimately how do we get people who don't care about climate change right who don't care about animal rights who don't care about um about a lot or, or you know don't don't make purchasing decisions based off of that to transition and ultimately for us, the big question is how do we deliver products that deliver on that promise of, of taste and price? And for us, this technology really is critical to, to enabling that transition, like to get a cake to rise and give you the same, the same mouthfeel as a consumer. 
the angel food cake that you get every Christmas with your family? How do we recreate those experiences in a way that doesn't require animal products and that ultimately can enable a more delicious and affordable future for people? And really this technology, at least the way that I see it from the research that we've done in the space is it's really the only way to make this transition possible. What, what do you guys think? And I'll start with you, Jasmine. You know, what, you know, I always, my, my belief is that there will always be some luxury market that want to buy animal-based uh, protein products, the steak directly from, the, from a, a slaughtered cow. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, at some point, it's going to vastly be uh, these new food technologies, not just for the global warming reasons, but just for economic reasons. It's just going to be so incredibly compelling. When do you think, uh, you know, we're going to actually change, so let's say 90% of the protein that people eat instead of coming from animals is coming from, from these new methods? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there are, there are predictions out there that say as early as 2035, uh, that those those balances will tip in favor of proteins that are produced more sustainably and without animals. Um, of course, if you are looking to have you know a steak and go out to celebrate something, that's an experience, right? If you're reaching for a bag of Doritos, that's probably not because you really particularly want to consume dairy protein. It's just to eat some Doritos. But if you think about the quantities that global food manufacturers use these functional ingredients because they perform a job, that is so easy for us to replace. That is low-hanging fruit. And the scale and the volume of that opportunity is tremendous. Well, it's trillions like of dollars every year. Absolutely. And that's that reinvention of the entire food processing industry. Ben, I'll throw this to you. You're saying uh, not move for you, saying no move, right? Yeah. What about all the farmers? What yeah. about all the, what about the fact that these industries are going to be completely, you know, I, I look back, I live in Princeton, New Jersey, and there's a canal uh, that runs along the town. And the, that canal only lasted like 20 or 30 years before the trains overtook it. And then the trains were overtaken by the interstate highways. And there's so much, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, money that's been poured into these massive animal agriculture, you know, industrial, you know, these miles, uh, big plants. What do you think about, uh, you know, what happens with the jobs and what happens with the ethical yeah. issues there? Do you have any thoughts on that? I do. It's something that we think about a lot. And one thing that I had the opportunity to do over the last few months was talk to consumers who were showing purchasing intent for our product. And one thing that I very much learned from that is that the enemy for, for us is actually not farmers. It is big dairy in general. And it is the things that have happened to our food system in order to feed the number of people with the demand that we have. And so we're oversimplifying here, but we think about this. We say, if you are going down the road to your local farmer to get your milk, we actually love that. And we would like you to continue doing that because we think that's awesome. Where we want to play is big dairy. That's the enemy here, is the unsustainable ways that we have grown our food systems in order, in order to, to feed everyone. And all the repercussions of that's antibiotic right. resistance and everything else is actually that's right. endangering our, our, our lives. Well. Um, I think we ha may have time for one question. If anyone has anything you want to sort of shout out, uh, I can. Yes, go ahead, Monroe. Uh, so 
Yeah. Business model in terms of what your cost is and what you're looking for. Yeah. You know, in terms of, you know, what, what the next three to five years. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, and uh, we'll c go as quickly as we can. So the timeframes for each of these different industries, whether it's plant-based foods like Beyond Meat uh, or these uh, hero proteins, which I call protein farming, like these functional ingredients, uh, like what we're talking about with eggs and milk and, and whatnot, um, those are different, uh, you know, different timeframes. It's like the explosive sort of investment and, and growth, but the, you'll see more like the Beyond Meat Impossible Burger sort of stuff in the market quicker but they will eventually be supplanted and replaced with the, the next generations of these, um, these hybrid products. And then the cellular agriculture will come next, sort of in waves. Um, but uh, so there's different timeframes on each. Um, and, then, and then these companies, uh, you know, if you're interested in the very earliest stages, then you go to a program like an Indie Bio, which is what we run. And, and there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of great companies that are coming through that to try to get in at the early, early stages, or you could get in at Series A, you know, Series B, you know, Series C, uh, you know, right here on stage. <laughs> Just find find these uh, find these investors. There's a lot of people talking about this market. Um, I'm not sure if that really answered your question, but go ahead. Yeah, for, yeah, for, for us specifically, uh, so eggs uh, cover around two to three bucks uh, a pound in terms of liquid eggs. With our technology, based on you know, without any improvements in our technology today, and dropped into large scale fermenters, our cost is between one to two bucks a, few, uh, a pound. So we now have proven that at scale, the technology works, and ultimately now the Series C that we're raising is to really drive adoption across the portfolio with our customers. Do you want to? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll, I'll comment on the business model side of things. So um, for our company, our North Star, our business is going to be in commercializing and selling ingredients to food CPG companies, large and small, all over the world. Um, that's obviously a long time frame. And to get there, you need to raise a lot of capital to be able to reach those markets. Uh, given the technology platform that we have at our core, we're also going to take advantage of opportunities to license technologies or ingredients to ingredients companies as we've reached that, that North Star of uh, selling our own ingredients. And I think we've run out of time. Ben, do you want to? It can go super short. Yeah, it goes super short. I believe you'll be able to buy our first product, which is animal-free milk um, by Q2 of next year. And I believe we'll get to pretty close to price parity with milk alternatives that you're familiar with. Yeah. Well, if anyone has any uh, direct questions, I, I think you guys will hang around or maybe go out. I guess I don't know if we have to go outside or if there's something directly after, but we'll go outside and, and uh, be available uh, for, for your questions. Thanks so much uh, for your time today. <laughs>